0: I want to begin by talking about a movie that came out in 1977, probably one of the greatest movies of all time. Who knows what it is? Star Wars, of course. Okay, 1977. This was it. It was called Star Wars, and uh, they they weren't sure quite what to expect if it was going to be a hit or not. The the story goes that Lucas was even unsure if it was going to be successful. And this was the opening crawl, the famous opening crawl in 1977. This is what you would have seen in theaters at that time. Uh, Real quick, do a quick shout if you were there. Were you there back in 1977? Quick shout. Yes. You guys are awesome. Okay, I love hearing those stories, but. It blew up. I mean, people would go multiple times. It was a a phenomenon, right? But then uh, in 1980, uh, the next movie came out, which was called Empire Strikes Back, my personal favorite, in case you were wondering, which you weren't. Uh, But I love Empire. It's amazing. And what's interesting is that they then decided to re-release the original Star Wars in 1981. However, it had a different opening crawl. Instead of the first one in 1977, it now had the addition of the line, A New Hope. And it had above that episode four. And evidently, Lucas claims that he had this whole saga planned out ahead of time, but he wasn't sure if Star Wars is going to work out. And he, but he says a lot of things. Who really knows, right? Um, but yeah, it, it, it now had the title A New Hope. And the debate rages on what exactly is the new hope that it's referencing? What, exact, what exactly is the hope? For instance, is, it, is the hope Luke Skywalker himself, right? This sort of figure that comes onto the scene and reignites the Jedi way and, and leads the rebel alliance? Or is, is the new hope like the, the new rebel alliance itself, the rebellion against the evil empire? What exactly is the new hope? Well, we're going to be continuing on in our sermon series talking about Jesus coming onto the scene in first century Jerusalem and Judea. And Jesus came onto the scene, and we said last week that in order to understand Jesus, you have to understand the time in which he came. And the people, especially the Israelites, the Jews at this time, were under some enormous pressures of their time. Kind of like the people in Star Wars were under some pressures. For instance, you had the you had the Jedi Order, the group of religious sort of fanatics, and they're so uh, kind of stuck in their ways. They were considered excuse, excuse me considered to be legalistic. You had the Anakin's of the world who were. The false messiahs, right? You were the chosen one, anyone? And, uh, and they, they had people come before and they led, you know, revolts. And they uh, apparently overthrew Rome, or at least apparently, and rebuilt the temple and led. But it eventually fizzled out. They were false messiahs. And then you have the oppressive weight of the empire itself. Literally the Roman empire in the first century. just Just causing all sorts of problems through their occupation and their oppression. It was a pressure cooker. It was a mixed bag of all sorts of things going on. And you can imagine, if you're a first century Jew, and you're living under the weight of these three things, you can imagine the confusion and maybe even the, the sense of hopelessness. False messiahs. You have a foreign occupier in your land. You have, you have no hope. What is there to hope in? Where is God, you might be asking. You may be waiting and watching, trying to discern what God is up to, but it seems like there is no hope. Maybe you've even felt this way as you live today. Maybe you're like, man, what is God up to? I just am having a hard time seeing it. Well, today we're continuing, like I said, in our uh, sermon series simply titled, Jesus, with the tagline, A Message for All. Last week we set out to begin to sort of peel back the layers of all of the noise and all of the messaging that's been put on top of Jesus Christ. And last week, we started from a simple premise that everyone can agree that Jesus existed and that he had a message. Everyone agrees he existed in history 2,000 years ago, and his message, for whatever reason, has captivated people for over 2,000 years later. And so his main message that we're going to be talking about today is the idea of The kingdom. Uh, We're going to be in Matthew chapter 4 today if you have your Bibles. I encourage you to to turn there if you like. You can always Google it on your phones and it'll be on the screens. But do get this in front of you uh, if you could. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. Last week we talked about how in order to understand Jesus, you also have to understand who he was predicted to be. Because people had all sorts of expectations about who he was. And we start to see that in verse 12. In Matthew, this is the gospel account of Jesus. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee, skipped down, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. And so here the gospel writer, Matthew, he's making the connection. He's making the claim that Jesus was actually fulfilling words of a man that was spoken years and years before Jesus began, before he started his ministry and existed. So he was predicted here, and this is what it says, 15, land of Zebulon and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Don't miss 16. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of shadow of death, a light has dawned. So here the the writer, Matthew, he's saying, the people are living in darkness. They are living in despair. They are living in the shadow of death. And this Jesus bursts onto the scene with this new light. There is a new hope, Matthew is saying. We continue on in verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach. Jesus began to preach. His ministry was threefold. Jesus would preach, he would heal the sick, and he would also teach. Jesus began to preach, and what was the message? This is the main uh, thrust of our, our time today. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Scholars believe that this line right here epitomizes The very purpose and the message of Jesus in one single line, repent for the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God has come near. Jesus bursts onto the scene, a new hope, a new way, a new rebellion has started to take place, but not the kind that you might think. It's not a rebellion with laser swords and blasters. And it's also not a rebellion with with Roman swords and and with riots. This is a new way Jesus is introducing here. Something different has come. A new sort of kingdom has arrived. Matthew 4, verse 23, Jesus calls his disciples. uh, And then we see in 23, it says this, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. So here we see the word proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Um, how many of you guys have ever heard of the phrase the gospel or preaching the gospel? Raise your hand real high. You've heard of the gospel. The gospel, the word for that is euangelion, which literally means good news. It's good news. And so Jesus is going around preaching the good news of what? The kingdom. This is the good news. He's saying, he's going around, he's saying, repent. Good news, repent. The kingdom of heaven has come. When we think of the word repent, um, how many of you guys are like, yeah, that sounds like really good news, right? <laughs> like, hey, fr- hey, friend, I've got some really good news for you, you guys. are going to love this. Um, repent. <laughs> you know, like, we don't typically think of that. When we think of the word repent, maybe we think of like an image like this, right? With like picket signs and, you know, repent or perish and, you know, angry looking people with like, you know, they, they made their own vests, it looked like, they made their own jackets, which well, that's kind of cool. Uh, I'm down with that. We should kind of all make our own jackets come to church. Anyway, but I, but I don't know why they look like they're like an angry biker gang or something, you know what I mean? Like I'd be more, I'd be more willing to approach a biker gang than I would these guys. Like not very approachable. And sometimes when we hear the word repent, that's what we think of, right? The anger and the, like, um, sort of, like, scare tactics, maybe. Maybe you grew up in church where there's just, like, if you don't, look out, right? And, look, there's, there is some truth to that. It is serious. But, but I, I'll take that off the screen because I, I want us to kind of reframe and recapture the idea of repentance because, evidently, it's good news. Evidently, this is, this is wonderful news. When Jesus comes on the scene, the first thing he says is repent, and repent is actually, it's, it's a, in the Greek, it's the word metanoia, which means a change of mind, a change of mind. Jesus comes on the scene. He says, it is time for a change of mind, the way you're thinking. It is time to wake up, and it's time to change the way you think, because that'll change the way you behave, and that will affect if you belong to my kingdom or not. It is time to change your mind. The things that you think have been trying to make you happy, the things you think that are making you happy are actually destroying you. They're they're like corrosive acid inside that are not making you happy. They are not making you have joy in this life. Repent. Change your mind about some things. Why? Because there's a new way that has come. Repentance can be as small as changing your mind about eating too many Oreos, right? Where you're like, oh, that's not good for me. That makes my tummy hurt, right? I'm not gonna do that anymore. But it can be something as serious as like changing your mind about a toxic relationship with a boyfriend or girlfriend. You're arguing all the time. You say things you regret. You know it's not good. You know it's, it's, it's toxic. It's not good for your soul. It's not healthy. You know it's not going to last, right? And when you finally come to that realization where you change your mind and say, this is not what I'm supposed to be doing, man, how much freedom is there when you finally repent and change your mind to go a different direction, Right? Think about a workplace environment where your boss is condescending and it's all just, you know, it's just competition and then you rebel back at your boss and it's just unhealthy. Man, when you finally change your mind and get out of that and have that freedom, come on, that is good news, right? That's repentance. We can have a change of mind that can affect the, ch- the way that we behave. We can turn a different direction. Jesus comes on and saying, hey, I've got good news. Jesus' good news is repent. Man, we need to not shy away from this. Even if we've been walking with Jesus for years, we can't shy away from the the idea that repentance is good news. Man, we need to let God change our minds over and over and over again. We must be constant, lifelong learners to be people of the kingdom of God. Why? This is where it gets serious. It's not just changing your mind about sin, but repentance. repentance is how we enter the kingdom of God. That's how we get in. It's through repentance. Scripture says that repentance is how our sins can be wiped out, says in Acts. Repentance is how we can uh, be enabled to bear fruit in this world and not be cast out because we aren't bearing any good things in this world. In John chapter 3, verse 5, listen to Jesus' words. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. You have to be born again, Jesus says, to be a part of the kingdom. And that's done through repentance. That beautiful act of repentance, of finally saying, God, I'm going to let you change my mind. The things that I think are right, the things that I've been dabbling in, the sin that I've been um, experimenting with, I'm changing my mind. It is no longer good. I want to follow your way. Your way is now better. That's a beautiful message. And that is how we have a regenerated spirit when we finally say, God, forgive me of that. I'm ready for a new life and a new way. This is good news. Uh, Most of us, when we think of the word gospel, this is the sort of gospel that we've heard about, right? We've heard of the gospel of salvation. We've heard that Jesus came down, lived a perfect life, that he was crucified on a Roman cross for the atonement of our sins, and that if we put our faith in him, our trust in him, then he can forgive us of our sins because he was resurrected on the third day. Many many of us have heard that, and we claim that is the gospel. Many of us have heard that. But that's just a part of the gospel. The gospel was repent, yes, repent, salvation, for the kingdom of heaven has come. The gospel of the kingdom as well as the gospel of salvation. Because if we just focus in the gospel of salvation, which is good and beautiful, it is the necessary first step to get in the kingdom. We we can, incidentally, we can accidentally almost take on a theology of the sort of say a prayer, go to heaven sort of theology. It's the sort of like, just a few more weary days and then I'll fly away sort of theology, right? It's the, you know, Jesus is going to set me up with the spirit in the sky. You know, I've never sinned. I'm not a sinner, but... But Jesus is going to recommend me to the, the spirit in the sky, right? That's an old, old song. Some of you guys, I could, I could quote that from memory. I love that song. But, but it's bad theology, right? That's, that's not how this works. It's not just about getting your ticket into heaven. It's about a brand new way of living that kingdom is, that Jesus has ushered in with the kingdom. A brand new way. And here... Again, we can't neglect the second part, Matthew 4, 17, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near the good news of the kingdom. Okay, so let's dive into this kingdom with the remainder of our time. Let's zero in on this if we could. What on earth is all this kingdom business? Uh, Pastor Jason has preached so many good sermons on kingdom. I love it. Um, A couple weeks ago, he talked about the kingdom in contrast to Babylon, which is such a good message. I also recommend, we did a Beatitudes series a number of years ago. Go back and watch that first message in the Beatitudes series. So good on kingdom. Um, but this is what kingdom is. Throughout scripture, it's, it's named many different things. There's lots of different ways that the kingdom is described. Uh, for instance, in Mark, it's called the kingdom of God. Matthew, kingdom of heaven. Uh, in Second Peter, this is interesting. It's called the eternal kingdom. And then I saved my favorite for last. I love this one. The kingdom of the son he loves. In Colossians. How good is that? What kingdom are you a part of? What, what's, what's your deal? What, what nationality are you? Oh, I belong to the kingdom of the Son he loves. I get tingles just saying that. You know what I mean? You guys are like, you're weird, <laughs> okay? But I think that's cool, all right? Whatever. <laughs> Moving right along. A definition from Ken here. This is what a kingdom is, if you want to follow along in your worship guides as well. Uh, kingdoms are where, speci- and again, keep, keep Jesus in mind. Keep Jesus in mind as I read this kingdoms are where specific rulers exert their authority and establish a culture that is governed by the rules that reflect the values of the ruler and, in turn, affect the quality of life of those in the kingdom. So what is Jesus' kingdom based on this definition? I mean, We have a specific ruler, that's King Jesus. He exerts his authority and he establishes a culture. That's us, that's the church. The culture that's governed by the rules that reflect Christ's values. What are Christ's values? Love, holiness, grace, forgiveness, right? That's who the church is. We live in the kingdom. And in scripture, um, the kingdom of God is often contrasted with other kingdoms like the kingdom of the air, which is said to be the, the rule and dominion of the literal devil, like that, that the idea is that like the devil has some sort of dominion over this earth, over the world. And contrast that, for instance, with the kingdom of Babylon, like I mentioned, of religion and politics. There is a new kingdom that has come. But I want to just kind of zero in as we, as we can with our time. I want to zero in on, and ask the question, who is this kingdom for? When Jesus came, who was he inviting into this kingdom? I want to just kind of narrow in on that, if we could, for the rest of our time here today. And I think to get a proper understanding of that, let's see who Jesus decided to share this gospel, this good news with first. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 now, verse 23. Uh, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the what? kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and the people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. So who are some of the first people that Jesus is proclaiming this good news to? It's the sick, the hurting, the literal demon possessed. And Jesus is saying, yeah, let's, let me heal you. Come to me. And they're following him. Imagine the crowds drawn to this Jesus. These were the type of people that were coming to him, coming for help. These are the types of people Jesus is attracting. And if I could summarize it in one word, I would say they're desperate. They're desperate. There is something, there is something in all of us that never, never can um, come away and never can move away from just being desperate for Jesus. We're all desperate for Jesus. And when Jesus comes onto the scene and begins his ministries, you know, you have the Pharisees standing here, right? You have the Pharisees. These were supposed to be the religious leaders who were supposed to be like looking out for and welcoming the Messiah. And yet their hearts were too hard. They didn't, they rejected him. They were supposed to be the ones that ushered him in to say, Look, here is the Lamb of God. And it's almost as if Jesus just walks right past the Pharisees and he goes right to the sick and the hurting and the needy and the oppressed and says, I'm here for you. I'm the great physician and you're sick, and I love you. That's the heart of our Savior, to reach the lost and the hurting. And this is where we get the very next chapter in chapter five, turn over to chapter five, and we get the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most famous sermons of all time. Um, This is an incredible, incredible passage. And it begins with something called the Beatitudes. You've probably heard this before, where it says, blessed are the blank, for they will blank. It's called the Beatitudes. Um, This right here on the screen is a picture um, historically of where they believe Jesus preached this message. It's called Mount Beatitudes. Look at that. Isn't that gorgeous? What a perfect spot to preach this message, by the way, okay? And here's what we see happen. And just keep keep that in mind. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Okay, So picture the scene. You're on that beautiful mount looking over the Galilee, Sea of Galilee, and you're on this beautiful, picturesque, perfect um, perfect scene. And there you have the disciples close to Jesus. But then you also have the crowds. Who, who are in the crowds? The sick, the destitute, the oppressed, right? So you have Jesus is teaching his disciples, but who's overhearing the teaching? The crowds, right? The ones who have gathered around him. And so as I read this next passage one of the most famous passages in all Scripture. Would you mind, I mean, if you want, you just close your eyes and picture that picturesque scene on that hill with the grass and picture the, the breeze coming off of the water and picture Jesus' voice here as he reads these famous words. If you don't want to close your eyes, that's totally okay, but let me, just, let me speak these over you and allow them to wash over your spirit today. Jesus said, when people who insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen and amen. Could you picture Jesus saying that on that beautiful Mount Beatitude? Picture him saying it to that crowd that are at his feet, and the heart and the compassion of the Savior coming across there. I think when we're tempted, or when we read these Beatitudes, I think we're tempted to almost take them as as instructions for us, right? It's almost like, wait, so are you saying that in order for me to be blessed, that I have to now, you know, become poor, or I have to have something to mourn? Is that Is that what you're saying, right? And and we read these lists, and they don't necessarily seem like really good conditions to be in, poor in spirit. Like, rarely do we wake up in the morning and we're like, boy, I hope something happens to me that that causes me to mourn, you know? I hope persecutions come in my way, right? So it's interesting that Jesus calls them blessed. And what I think Jesus is doing here is he's taking those that society has said are unblessable, those who are down and out, those who the kingdom, you know, they would say doesn't belong to such as these. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. The kingdom has come for even these. The kingdom belongs to even these people who are in these conditions. I love the way that Dallas Dallas Willard, a famous theologian, wrote it in The Divine Conspiracy. Follow along with this. It's a little thick, but I love this quote. The Beatitudes in particular are not teachings on how to be blessed. They are not instructions to do anything. They do not indicate conditions that are especially pleasing to God or good for human beings. They are explanations and illustrations drawn from the immediate setting of the present availability of the kingdom through personal relationship to Jesus. They single out cases that provide proof that in him, the rule of God from the heavens truly is available in life circumstances that are beyond all human hope. How good is that, right? The Beatitudes are saying like, look, see these people, these who are gathered around me, the kingdom of heaven is available to them and even they can be blessed because of the promise that it provides. What a message. Simply put, Those in the Beatitudes aren't blessed because of their condition. Rather, they're blessed because of the promise of the kingdom and what it affords them. Through the kingdom, they can, too, be called happy, be called blessed. So just imagine that. And we have to kind of compare this to our world's views, right? Like our world's version of the Beatitudes would be something like this. Blessed are the powerful because they're going to inherit anything, everything anyway, right? Like, blessed are those who are really religious and devout because God has special favor to them. And, and Jesus comes on, he, he flips it on its head. This is now an upside-down kingdom. You see, Jesus is introducing an upside-down kingdom while expanding their view of the gospel and the kingdom and the good news of God. Jesus came to expand the Pharisees' views of the kingdom. He came to expand the view of those who are hurting and destitute. He expanded their view of what this good news is in the kingdom. So picture the scene with me. You have these people who are loud. They are the outcasts. They have been cast aside. These are the people who are socially awkward. These are the people who are formerly unclean. These are people who others would label the leeches of society. These people are desperate. And Jesus comes on the scene and he says, you're blessed. Even you are blessed. The kingdom is here for you. It belongs to you if you want it. It's available, it's accessible, it's not far off. It's not wrapped behind all sorts of religious red tape that the Pharisees have tried to put on it. It's here and it's now and it's for you and you can take hold of it if you want and someday it'll be even more fully realized when I come back. That is a new kind of hope. Imagine that kind of hope, uh, that new hope striking at the heart of those people who are hearing those words for the very first time in history that they too can belong to the kingdom of God. Not through a rebellion of the normal kind, but through this new kingdom at hand. So as we begin to kind of land the plane, I want to just ask a question of all of us today. Um, And the question is simple. in, In what ways might your view of the kingdom need to be expanded, right? That's what Jesus came to do. He blew it all up, turned it upside down. And what views might your view of the kingdom need to be expanded? Um, Let me ask this. What persons or groups are you perhaps maybe even quick to judge that actually could have access to the kingdom through Jesus Christ? Maybe it's the people on the opposite aisle of the political spectrum, or maybe it's people that you're, you're just quick to judge. Maybe it's people who are wrapped up in some sort of sinful behavior that you don't approve of. Whatever it is, in what ways might Jesus be expanding your view of the gospel to even include them should they come to him? Maybe for you, your, your version or your idea of the kingdom needs to be expanded to, to not just be a, a, a gospel of repentance, of salvation, say a prayer, go to heaven, but expand your view of the kingdom to include or or expand your view of the gospel to include the kingdom and to include his righteousness, everyday living. This is why we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is, where? In heaven. Maybe you need to step into that role as a kingdom ambassador, as a child of the living God. But the kingdom message, don't miss this, the kingdom message is that regardless of how bad things may be, there's hope for everyone. There's hope now for everyone. If you're here today and you're feeling hopeless, and I'm going to invite the worship team to come on forward. If you're here today and maybe you've been disillusioned by, by religion or by the church in the past, or you've been disillusioned by church leaders, and maybe you're, you're, you know, you're wondering like those, <laughs> those Jews in the first century, you're like, I- I- are we ever going to figure it out? <laughs> Are we ever going to get it right? And, and maybe for you, you just need to be reminded that Jesus calls you too blessed because of the kingdom. Maybe for some of you, you've lost hope in the false messiahs of leaders in our country maybe, or, or the systems that we've put up, things promising change and promising you know, redemption really, and you kind of just lost hope in that and you find yourself in that hopeless state as well. Maybe Jesus is calling you blessed today because of the kingdom. And maybe you just feel like you've lost yourself to the, you know, maybe it's the oppression of busyness and hustle and grinding and pace of life in our digital modern era and you're just like, man, I don't even know if I have room to breathe, let alone discover who Jesus is. And, and I wonder if, if Jesus' message to you is, hey, you, you too can be blessed because of what I'm offering now, because of what the kingdom can afford you now there is a new hope for you too because of the kingdom. So, one of the exercises that we're going to do is on your worship guide, we're gonna have you uh, just attempt to kind of write your own beatitude. On the bottom of it, it says, blessed are blank for they will blank. And we encourage you in, in a moment here after I'm done to just write your own beatitude in light of Jesus in the kingdom. And who are those people or groups of people that somebody on the human scale would say are nothing? No good. Not blessed? Who are those people who are down and out, been discarded? If I can be if I can be frank, who are those people that, that are taking their own lives through overdose, suicide, whatever? Who are the hopeless? maybe for some of you in this crowd, you're, you're like, I don't know how to begin to write my own beatitude. I, I don't even know if I'm a disciple of Jesus yet. I don't, as I'm hearing those words. But maybe you're, maybe you're in the surrounding crowd. Maybe you're hearing some of these words in new ways, fresh for the first time. And maybe, maybe you're like, I'm, I'm the one who's hopeless today. I'm the one who has despair in my heart who's confused by the world, maybe maybe for you, maybe you just need to receive the words of Jesus that he too can call you blessed because of this new kingdom reality. I did this exercise and if I'm honest, it was really hard. It was difficult. And I came up with a list of like five and I can't share them all, but I just, uh, if I'm vulnerable, I wanna just share one that I wrote down. Um, And I wrote down, blessed are the unnoticed and the uninfluential, for God sees your heart in the quiet places. Those who, you know, where it seems like today it's all about power and prestige and influence and notoriety and be unique and make your own way and pave your own path, you know, and then there's this group of people who are like, I don't have influence. But who would you put in that category? Again, Dallas Willard wrote, the message of the kingdom is precisely that all of those human beings, all that human beings regard as unblessable are not unblessable if they enter into the kingdom. So who would you put first on your list if you wrote your own beatitude? Who would you put on the list during our time? And Jesus, um, let me just, spoiler alert, he did a pretty darn good job with his list. It's, It's genius, but... But how would you get specific about it? Who would you put on the list? Let me ask it this way. Who are the most hopeless in our society? Who are the ones that have been cast aside that can now be called blessed in light of the kingdom? Maybe you're gonna put yourself in that unblessed area. Maybe... You're in the crowd and you're hurting, like I said, and you just need to receive that Jesus has an invitation to you, that you too are blessed, you can be blessed, not because of your pain, but because of the promise, the promise of the kingdom. The promise of the gospel is that there is now a new hope, not through a rebellion, but through the kingdom of God. And so I'm gonna pray and we're just gonna encourage you in these next moments we're just gonna play some instrumental music just take a moment take a first stab at writing down that beatitude who would you put in that category and again if, if you're here today and you just need the hope of Jesus for yourself that's okay too you can even put your name on there too and repent repent that's good news you too can have the kingdom That is at hand.